Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's lovely to be here with you today. Um, looking around, I think I know most of you, but I don't know all of you, so I'll, we'll just introduce myself. Uh, my name is Sarah, and I haven't been here very long on the island. Um, we arrived, well, I arrived last summer to join James, who led our prayers. Uh, he works at Elizabeth College. And um, before that, we lived in Bath in the southwest of England. And uh, we were there for more than 20 years before coming here. Now, if you pop in and out of the church during the week, you might find me on a Monday morning tucked away in the office with Cynthia. And uh, you might see me counting up the money. You might think I've got some kind of financial expertise. I don't. <laughs> You might see me taking minutes for a meeting and you might think I've got secretarial skills. I really don't. You might see me in the cafe with Anna wobbling around with a bowl of soup, trying not to tip it into your lap. I don't have skills <laughs> either yet. Um, and so you might be wondering why this wobbly uh, girl has <laughs> taken a wrong turning on the way to the photocopier and found herself at the front of church. But um, <laughs> I think the reason why I'm here is that uh, while we were living in England. Um, I was also licensed as a lay reader, like Brian and Eileen, who are part of this church as well, and uh, was very much involved in the church there in Bath, where we were before. Anyway, I think that is enough about me, other than just saying that for me, that was quite a big move coming here. We'd been very stable. A lot of you have perhaps moved further, have moved around more in your lives, but for me, that was a big move. But coming and being part of this church family, being welcomed so amazingly, has honestly made all the difference in the world. So thank you very much. Shall we pray before we launch into this passage? We just sang that you are a good father, Lord. And we come here today as brothers and sisters whether we've been in the church for more than 20 years or it's our first time today, we belong because you are our Father and we are your children. And we do offer our lives to you again today and ask that you would have your way in us and through us. And we ask this for your glory. Amen. So, some of us will have finished our chocolate eggs days ago. Some of us have got a new stash from this morning. <laughs> and some of us may be already thinking about the summer and all the lovely plans we have coming up. But as we've been reminded in the service today, we are still in the season of Easter. And as John said, we're starting a little series in church thinking about the stories of Jesus' resurrection. And here on Sunday mornings, we're going to be thinking about the different stories we find in the Gospel of Luke. And in the evening services, we're going to be thinking about the stories told by other New Testament writers like Matthew and John and Paul. In a way, all these different authors are telling the same story of Jesus' death and resurrection. They all agree that Jesus' death and resurrection were God's long-prepared plan to solve the human problem, the way that we muck up this beautiful world. They all agree on that. And yet, because they're different people with different backgrounds and different passions, 
each gospel has different emphases and different ways of arranging the story and what they tell. I've been reading a book recently by Patrick Whitworth, who was a vicar um, at the church in Bath where we were, and it, it made me realize and see some of these different themes that are woven in different ways through the different gospels. Mark is very sort of short and punchy and sparing in detail, and is often thought to be um, Peter's recollections that he dictated to Mark. Matthew is quite different, and his strong Jewish heritage really comes across, and you see him showing time and time again how Jesus in his life fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of John's got a very different flavor, hasn't it? It's very intimate. We see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit woven in there. It's arranged around seven big conversations, seven signs of who Jesus was, and about believing, revelation, and life. Each of these themes are woven through all those Gospels in different ways, and in their uh, resurrection stories. And so as I've sat with these verses from Luke that we just heard from Josh, I've been thinking about what is it that's distinct and unique about Luke as a gospel writer, and can we see those things appearing in this story that we've looked at today? And I think we can. (laughs) So just over the next few minutes, we're going to think about Luke and the sense of being lost, Luke and the gospel for the outsider, and Luke and Jesus' manifesto. As a lot of you will know, a lot of the stories and a lot of the teaching are found in each one of the gospels. But there's one chapter in Luke that we only find the stories contained there in Luke. And it happens to be a chapter that is a real favorite for many people. It's Luke 15, and it contains three stories. The story of the lost coin, the story of the lost sheep, and the story of the lost or prodigal son. The coin was lost by accident, presumably. The sheep perhaps was lost through its nature, and the son lost through bad decisions. And today we find a group of women who are lost in a different sense. They are lost in grief. They've lost their friend, they've lost their teacher, their master, they've lost their sense of purpose, and now they've lost his body. They came prepared with the spices that they'd carefully prepared to complete this final act of love on their beloved Jesus. But even this has been taken from them. Yet, like the coin and the sheep and the sun, they too are found by God on their road to the tomb. God sends two gleaming men. (laughs) I don't know what it is that tickles me about that, but I just like the idea of these two gleaming men who meet the women on their way to the tomb. It indicates to that group of women that God knows their grief. He sees them. He hasn't finished with them yet. They still have a very important role to play. 
a few years ago, a film and a book came out um, called The Shack. A lot of people loved it. I'm not sure that I would say it was one of my favourites, but there was one little line in it that I really loved and has stuck with me. In the story, the main character is called Mac, and he meets Jesus. And on one occasion, Mac says to Jesus, does that mean that all roads lead to you? And Jesus smiles and says, not at all. Most roads don't lead anywhere. But what it does mean is that I will travel any road to find you. I will travel any road to find you. I suppose this idea of lostness isn't my main point today, but I felt really compelled to share this. Maybe you feel lost. Maybe you feel lost in grief. Maybe you've lost someone dear to you. Maybe you are coping with massive changes in your life. And today, I really think God wants you to know that he sees you, that he knows, and he does have more for you. Every day, I like to start with the Lectio Bible app. It's a really good way to start the day. And a bit earlier this week, Pete Gregg was writing, and he said this that resonates with what what I was just saying. He says this, Looking back on seasons of suffering in my own life, I can now see quite clearly how the Lord was present, not absent, in those moments of apparent abandonment. Perhaps when I feel forgotten, I need to remember that his message to me is not so much, hang on in there, I'll turn up eventually, but rather, I see you when you can't see me. I hear you when you can't hear me. I believe in you way more than you believe in either of us. If things are feeling tough for you at the moment, those words are for you. And for those of us who are not feeling like we're struggling in this way with grief at the moment, maybe this is our prompt to be God's hands and feet and to demonstrate this great love that he has, this care for those who are grieving at the moment. So Luke's gospel reminds us that Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. He also wrote a gospel that reflects Jesus' heart for outsiders, those who are on the margins. Luke himself was an outsider. He was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He's, in fact, the only non-Jewish author in the uh, New Testament. And I guess as such, he was very aware of those on the margins of society perhaps those who are seen to be on the edge because of moral choices they'd made, perhaps because of their ethnic background, perhaps for social or sexual reasons. But it's interesting to see that the people that the society kept at arm's length, and in particular the people that the religious leaders kept at arm's length, we can think of the lepers, the demon-possessed, the Samaritans, the disabled, all these people 
were the ones that Jesus made a beeline for. We see that all the way through the gospel and we see it again appearing in these resurrection stories. And in particular today, we see this beautiful and significant way that he included the women. And if you read around history, you can get the impression that women would very much have been seen as second-class citizens in first-century Israel. All the way through his gospel, we find women who encounter Jesus and they find a renewed dignity. They're restored into community. They're shown as having gifts of hospitality, the gift of being given, giving Jesus their undivided attention, great generosity, and an obedient faith. We do come a lot of, across a lot of good men in the Gospel of Luke as well. <laughs> Plenty of good men. But I have to say in the resurrection and crucifixion stories, the men don't come off that well. We find them arguing with each other about who's the greatest. We find them deserting Jesus at his arrest. We find him denying him under pressure. But this particular group of women who traveled all the way from Galilee and stuck with Jesus stick with him here. And it's no accident that Luke mentions them three times. He puts them at the cross. He puts them when the body is laid in the tomb. And they, he puts them now when we find that the tomb is empty. And this is important because Luke is wanting to give evidence for what has happened to Jesus. These guys are key witnesses. Jesus really did die on the cross. He really did uh, get laid in the tomb and he really wasn't there when they went to anoint him on this early trip to the tomb. And so when the women took this extraordinary news and rushed back to the other disciples, how did they react to this amazing news? Nonsense. <laughs> they must be talking nonsense. These men, who not so long ago had been outsiders themselves, but had become insiders, part of Jesus' inner circle, had seen so many extraordinary things, so many unbelievable things, and yet they were quick to dismiss as nonsense what the women had seen. And I think that's a little word of warning for those of us who've been hanging around in churches for a long time, that we can get a little bit jaded and a little bit cynical and we need to remember to expect the unexpected when it comes to God and his activity in the world. It's interesting to see that it was Peter who had kind of separated himself from the group or separated himself from Jesus by betraying him is the one who decides to jump up and run to the tomb and discovers that everything the women said was true. In the church, we cannot let this be a place of insiders and outsiders. It can't be. It can't be. Jesus' heart was for those on the margins, and where Jesus goes, that is no longer the margins, is it? Everyone is important. There's a lady called Jenny Weiss-Block who writes within um, disability theology, and she says this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a call to a new world where outsiders become insiders. The church as the body of Christ is the quintessential inclusive community where Jesus, 
the one who always identified with the outsider, presides as the copious host. We have that wonderful picture of us not only being like a family, but we're like a body where every single person is important. Every single person belongs. Every single person has a role to play. So if you're sitting here this morning and feeling not quite at home, on the edge, on the margins, you need to know that Jesus sees you, that he's making a beeline for you, that he can renew you. He's given you good gifts and a role to play just where you are right now. And if you're sitting here this morning with a wonderful sense of belonging and the security of being known and loved here, let's remember that we too need to have Jesus' heart and keep our eyes and ears open for those who might not be feeling quite so secure and open our arms to welcome and to include, to listen and to love. As a newcomer, myself in recent months, it's made such a difference, a smile, to be asked my name, to be invited for a drink, to be invited to get involved. All of that has made such a difference to make me feel settled here. You're very good at this as a church. Keep going, because it's precious. So, Luke's gospel is for the lost, it is for the outsider, but it is clear if you read the whole gospel that what Luke really set out to do, his main motivation was to reveal Jesus, who he was and why he came. The whole thing turns on Jesus. And right near the beginning of the gospel, we find Jesus going to Galilee, his home region, and to the temple there. This is the region where these women had, I guess, originally met him and had traveled from with him. And on this occasion, he goes to the temple and he stands up and he opens a piece of Old Testament scripture. And to us, it's known as Isaiah chapter 61. And it's like it was his manifesto. He was setting out the reason why he had come. And it starts like this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And it goes on and is clear that no longer was poverty to be the end of the story. No longer was captivity to be the end of the story. No longer was grief to have the last word. No longer despair or oppression. Jesus came to reverse all of the bad stuff, all the hard stuff in our world. And instead, he came to bring good news, to bring freedom, to bring beauty, a spirit of thanksgiving, and a life where we can bask in God's love and favor. That's what Jesus came to do. Back to our passage and the gleaming men. They said to the women... Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I've always read that a bit like um, a gentle rebuke. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? But I think what they were doing was quite reasonable. They weren't looking for the living. They were looking for their dead friend, Jesus. 
And they were looking in the most reasonable place where they'd find him, in the tomb where he'd been laid two days before. It was a reasonable assumption to think that Jesus would still be in the tomb. But Jesus isn't about reasonable assumptions, is he? He kind of breaks the power of our natural laws of science. And they'd already seen that he'd broken the power of sin, sickness, disability, shame, guilt. None of those things had the last word. And now he had broken the final, the final frontier in a way. He'd broken the power of death. Jesus' death was not to be the end of the story, but the beginning of a whole new wonderful story. It wasn't nonsense, but it was the meaning of life. And millions of Christians around the world and through time can testify that living a life with God brings light into the darkest and most challenging of places. There's a really wonderful couple who are part of this church. They were at the uh, nine o'clock service, but I think quite a lot of you here will know them. And their names are Martin and Heather. And I've really enjoyed getting to know them over recent months. And they are very hospitable people. They're very generous. They're very welcoming. They're very creative. They've also had some challenges in life too. And in particular, when Heather received a very difficult diagnosis a few years ago now. And Martin writes very beautifully. And he's got a blog that he writes online called Vale Ramblings. I recommend you, you look it up, Vale Ramblings. And he wrote this a few months ago, reflecting on the last few years and living life with this shadow over them and yet a life of faith. He's remembering visiting an exhibition called Beauty in Illness. He says this, Alongside the wall-sized photos and the beautifully written detail was hope and beauty right bang where we expect it least, like a dandelion pushing through a sea of brutal tarmac. I love that phrase, like a dandelion pushing through a sea of brutal tarmac. And he goes on to say, there's now color in blackness, laughter in the pain. Life is good, different, but in the light of all that's going on in this hurting world, will take each day as a bonus and live to be a blessing to someone somewhere in it. Hang in there. Keep being the light in the darkness. That's a calling for all of us. So as I come in to finish now, I was inspired as I've been trooping up and down Mill Street and Mansell Street, jumping off donkeys for our Palm Sunday Trail recently and meeting all the different shop owners. Um, I was taken with a sweatshirt in the shop called Coffee and Create. You may have been there. You might know Lydia, who I think designed um, this sweatshirt that I was really taken with. Um, I didn't quite buy it, but I nearly did. <laughs> and um, on the front, it simply said, everyone has a story. Isn't that true? Everyone has a story. And I said at the beginning that all the Bible authors, all the gospel writers, in some ways are telling the same story, but they tell it in different ways. 
with different key themes. And today we've been thinking about Luke's passion for the lost, for the outsider, his passion for Jesus as the transformer of all things. And that gives us all pause for thought. What does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us as individuals? What does that mean for us as a church? Our lives tell a story. What does my life say if people are looking in? Does it tell a story of good news, a story of welcome? I think telling a story also means listening, listening to one another, listening to other people's stories, valuing each other, where we've come from, what we bring as part of this amazing family that we're a part of. We're going to just pause and pray. You might like to talk to God in your own way, but I'd like to lead us in prayer as well as we can finish now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here and thank you that there is so much beauty in life and yet you know that for many here and across the world there are so many hard and painful situations and instead of feeling connected we feel lost abandoned, lacking purpose, full of grief. But Lord, you came to reverse all the hard stuff in life. You came to set us in a family. You came to bring life and you chose us to bring your life to others. Lord, as we think about today and maybe just the minutes after this service is finished, if we're feeling lost, what can we do? Can we reach out and ask for some prayer? Can we take time to speak to someone we've never spoken to before or maybe we've spoken to them once or twice and we can't remember their name. Lord, it's better to ask five or six times and to show that we care than to look the other way. Lord, give us courage and your love. Lord, make us a church where there are not insiders and outsiders but everyone has their sense of value and belonging and opportunity to give as well as to receive. And Lord, as we leave this place, would you fill our hearts with your love so that the people we come across this week would know your sense of welcome, of love, 
that we would point the way to you who transforms, that even in the darkest place, we might find those dandelions pushing up through the tarmac because of your goodness and your love and your spirit working powerfully in us and through us. And we ask all of this in your name and for your glory. Amen.